is the Provo Kid podcast and today I'm with uh th- well not just a Provo Kid podcast this is the last Provo Kid podcast uh with a with a guest this is episode 189 so um hold on I don't think uh our guest can hear me this is episode 189 the last Provo Kid interview conversation dialogue and it's with let me turn the lights on <clears throat> So uh, the machine lies can get a better, better look. Uh, man, it's nice to be here uh, at the end of the journey. There was a time when I started this podcast and I thought, you know, it'd be hard to ask anyone to have a, have a conversation or to risk themselves to, you know, engaging in a dialogue with me because I think I'm controversial, but in some ways I'm really not. I think... Uh, you know, I may say some things that are out of line or a little provocative, but I don't think I'm too far out there. And as I've, you know, engaged in my journey of talking to other people, I've had a lot of great conversations. And one thing that comes to mind when I'm having, uh, and I talked about a little bit earlier in the pre-show, was that uh, when you listen to someone talk and you have to take note and uh, and you and you realize that they're they're talking about something you don't quite understand or you're not really familiar with, it's an opportunity to learn, right? Uh, and to grow. And I always like to believe that, uh, 
you know, there's there's lots of people out there who can provide that, and uh, to have a conversation with someone who does that continually is rare. And so my next guest is the Machine Lies. He's a content creator on YouTube. He uh, does debates, and my first interaction with him or uh, under or knowing of him was seeing him in the de debate sphere, maybe on the Crucible, calling in. So uh, the Machine Lies would always call in on the Crucible and hit these uh, debaters with some really good questions. And, uh, you know, and eventually I, I saw the Machine Lies first debate. And also he started live streaming and having his own. He also has his own content videos as well that he's been creating for some time now. And it's stimulating, right? Uh, so I'm pretty honored here to talk to someone who I know, uh, you know, just engaging with it and they, they, they never come to a conversation empty handed. So very honored to have, uh, the machine lies here. If you're uh, with us, the machine lies, am I coming in clear? How you doing? And, uh, introduce yourself. Oh yeah. Um, I am the machine lies. Uh, my name is Muhammad. I'm a philosopher. Um, I talk about theology and philosophy, and I'm sad that you guys caught me on a, such a troubling uh, time in my life. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, I'm happy to join you, friends, in terms of, you know, the content I provide, you know, um, is mainly focused on the problem of technology. As you can see by the name, <laughs> yes. is uh, is uh, is really a... Uh, talk about reiteration uh you know uh the reiteration of code how it um, coalesces every facet of our life how people are uh walking bits of code how they are encoded they are pre-processed they are pre-packaged they follow pre-packaged ideas they uh walk like robots they talk like robots and they communicate through machines and um, and you see that um, with the people that um, that the machine is in every sense externalization of the ego. And um, when people use it, um, they see it as an extension of their uh, of their own ego, you know, of their own egoic desires. And they imprint upon this thing. But they but it's a double way process. The machine is also imprinting upon you. And um, that is why I engaged in this uh, sphere is because first of all a lot of my friends abandoned me <laughs> so so i had a so i had a group of friends um that thought my ideas were too radical uh they're called the anti-tech collective um, really? but they're no longer yeah but they're no longer functioning <laughs> they kind of blackballed me and and um you know i was there with dr david scribina and he was a pen pal of the unabomber that i oh. met at my university yeah yeah so you know i would kind of go to the university and um, my interest wasn't really in gaining a degree. My interest was in uh, trying to seek out those radical thinkers, you know, um, in the university and um, trying to uh, figure out where they stand on certain issues um, of politics. And um, and um, and I started uh, studying about political science. And um, that's really where uh, my fascination with learning started was in political science. And then it moved on into into philosophy. And then through a backdoor of philosophy, I kind of came back into a theological study 
and um and um figured out that um the religions of the world had something powerful to offer way uh, more powerful than any philosophy could imagine and i found that uh these three things you know politics or in other words history you know politics is just another word for history that's right <laughs> you know um and um you know um yeah and um just as um uh, uh, just as um, um, you know, economics is another term for technology. <laughs> you know, you know, people say they want to foster economics, but really, what they're talking about is planes and computers. <laughs> Without planes and computers, there's no economics. You know what I mean? Uh, because economics is based on principles of international trade. So I quickly found that in politics, studying politics was was garbage because yes. <laughs> because I found, uh, I found the same conclusion yeah 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 studying politics is um is um is um is garbage because politics is just reduced to technology the objective factor of power in the world and then um and then um the same could be said with philosophy you know uh, i found that you know uh there's some truth in the statement that uh that um there was three epochs to the world and that uh you know that there was it was beginning with a epoch that was um you know um you know theological in nature that man saw god in everything you know he saw you, you know god's people in in nature itself you know but then um uh, you know they move into um a realm of philosophical speculation and they try to determine everything through principles. And, and then you finally arrive at autocratic government in the 16th century. And then through this, they um, discover a technocratic age. So I found that, you know, um, that um, instead of the other way that they presented it, that, um, that um, you know, that science had toppled, you know, philosophy and philosophy had toppled religion. I saw that actually religion gave birth to philosophy, much in the same way that philosophy gave birth to science. <laughs> and that, um, you know, that, that, that these are uh, ever enveloping <laughs> modes of human experience, you know. Yeah. I can see that as well. Uh, the evolution of and uh, broadening of ideas and things into deeper concepts. And it's fascinating where you say these things evolved. Something uh, uh, happened to your mic there. Oh. I'm sorry. Something is happening to your mic there. Yeah. Um, how's that? Is that better? Oh, wait, I'm, I'm muted now. This technical issues. Is that better right there? Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's way better. Uh, my point was this, um, it's fascinating that what you just said and thinking about how, uh, religion expanded these other ideas and listening to how your discovery and looking through philosophy and political science, it brought you back. It's almost like a circle to religion. And so although religion evolved these philosophies, and it seems as though you went through them and then you found yourself back at uh, religion. Is that kind of uh, correct? Is that what you would say? Yes. Um, yeah, I would definitely uh, say that and, uh, and say that the, uh, the spiritual, uh, you know, um, understanding that the modern man is a uh, emotional, uh, metaphysical and spiritual eunuch. You know, as I've heard it been described, you know, and that is part and parcel of the problem that we're dealing with, you know, and this is why I appreciate people like 
Talcott, because although um, I may not agree with uh, some of their um, ideals, I do agree with the fact of how they present the problem of today. There is a crisis of empathy, a crisis of loneliness, <laughs> you know, and um, and um, that is palpable um, to anyone who uh, walks, you know, walks the path of righteousness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you and it's kind of like a, i don't know if it's an oxymoron or it's maybe it's a paradox where the things you just said if you take into account the fact that we're so interconnected and we can have almost immediate social engagement people still find themselves in that situation you just described right so uh, i think yes. of uh, robert putnam are you familiar with uh he was a, a harvard professor he wrote bowling alone no, no, Robert Putnam. That's a new name. I know you. I know you gave me a a, a, um, a new reading last time too. <laughs> yeah, William Hazlitt. Is that yeah. what I recommend? Yeah, Robert. Yeah. Robert yep. <laughs> yeah, William Hazlitt is what you recommended. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I need to get on that because I'm feeling the hate today. <laughs> so, so I, need, I, need, I need to get on that hate train. Uh, <laughs> Sip of that uh, haterade. Absolutely. And, uh, and the, what you're referring to is an essay he wrote on the pleasures of hating. And I kind of grew up in some uh, milieu of Mormon religion, but also uh, a little bit of Eastern philosophy imparted on me by my father. And so... I was kind of, I looked at my, you know, I, I was raised never to use the word hate. <laughs> I love that. What is this it? is Thessalonians. It's now stained in, in, in blood red wine. <laughs> so, so I think that's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> the depression, the depression I'm experiencing, but yeah. <laughs> it shows you read it. Uh, you yeah. marked it um and the thing i was drawing towards is my father never told me like hate's a strong word you never want to use the word hate and uh so i lived most of my early adolescence into my young adulthood trying to like work with the fact that hate is something you don't want and you don't like and then i came across william hazlitt and his essay on the pleasures of hating and it made me rethink about the benefits of hating things right like I, now i think it's okay to hate, right? It is a proper emotion, and uh, it is in some sense meant to be uh, engaged with and evolved with and to be looked at in not uh, an entirely negative sense. But uh, what I was leading to is Robert Putnam in his, his book, Bowling Alone, which chronicles the declining social engagement in America since the 40s or 50s. And it deals with like uh, how America had country clubs, uh, ROTC meetings, rotary clubs, uh, all, all types of uh, extracurricular uh, engagement in communities and how technology slowly withered away those connections, right? And eventually, uh, you know, the bowling alone, it, the title comes from the fact that now everybody's kind of bowling alone. They're playing by themselves. Um, and uh, throughout all this advancement, we still come to an era with technology and I'm kind of expanding a little bit past his work here, where you have the internet and what ends up happening is it's a place where people can find anything they want, but they, in the end, seclude themselves to the realms of their own thought. So instead of seeking something new or interesting, they just seclude themselves in a silo of thought. And in fact, uh, don't end up engaging uh, with a wider population or a wider audience. And then they get, you know, I guess 
what was it? What would the term be? Maybe uh, just drowned in the the thoughts of people who think like them, talk like them, and there's no real interaction with anybody, right? It's basically a cacophony of one's own thoughts uh, surrounded by a mirror of different faces. But um, yeah, I bring Robert Putnam up because uh, yeah, just trying to attach that attach that into what you were saying, uh, the problems with technology and uh, the dealing with. Uh, and you mentioned Jack Talcott, this lack of empathy, this lack of uh, emotion and concern for other people. And you see that with our politics and with what people say when uh, they're on stage and or when they're armchair politicking and, you know, giving a debrief of the, you know, the presidential candidate debates. Right. These people care as if they uh, really have concern for their culture and their environment, but they're not really helping the people on the streets in any literal means. You have people who say they care about climate change, but they don't clean up the river. They don't go to the ocean and clean up the trash. It's all this kind of faux uh, personalities and engagements. It's uh, a lot of role modeling. Nobody's really embodying. Uh, I don't know if that's kind of a, I, try, I tried connecting that, but uh, is there anything on that uh, you'd like to tap on or uh, add on to? Oh, yeah. That's one of the main um, issues that I cover um, on my um, streams is um, is kind of this paradox that um, we're, you know, interconnected, you know, on the one sense, but extremely isolated on the other sense. And you have with this the development of uh, extreme amount of subgenres where nothing new is um, ever being created it's just the um, intersection of two already existing forms of um, you know uh, music or culture you know just um, you know put together or refurbished and you know there's a lot of uh, refurbishing of culture and uh, echo chambers and um, you know that seems like um, one of the um, sort of uh, goals of the present system is to engage people in a sort of neo-tribalism you know and that is um the sense of where they don't feel um any touch to universal values well one might feel that the drive towards universal values is a proper antidote to this uh, over socialization you know uh, um, on the one end there's over socialization and on the other end there's extreme alienation wow yeah. you know so the so these are two problems that are um, actually uh, first discovered by somebody named Jacques Ellul, who wrote two major works. He wrote one work on propaganda, and he wrote another work uh, entitled The Technological Society. So propaganda and the technological society. And he said the, the, that these two works go hand in hand because the mass um, influence of technology actually allows uh, mass media and propaganda to take weight as if they never have before. And this um, actually um, leads to a sense of cultivation, you know, and there's cultivation within a style of, of performance. You know, look at um, hip hop or jazz. You know, there's, you know, these various modes of music, they can cultivate many different uh, styles, but it's not like house or techno. These are techniques you know they're based on uh, the repetition of certain techniques yes. you know and they can't uh, envelop um uh, you know you can't have jazz techno or jazz house i mean they've they've tried to 
blow up into these types of arenas. But technique cannot uh, envelop style. Style cultivates things, um, you know, and technique modulates within itself. You know, it changes within itself, um, you know, and this is similar to the um, style of, um, you know, what we have here today. We have over-socialization on the one end, you know, which is extreme, um, you know, interconnectedness between all spheres of human existence, even force interaction and force interaction based on artificial needs. Yes. But then on the other end, but then on the other end, you have this extreme isolation, this sedentary life, um, you know, um, you know, we're forced to um, connect to everyone. Um, but um, everyone can see how we're connecting to everyone. Um, you know, there's a lack of privacy in how we do that. Um, you know, every time we click go live, um, you know, we enter the public space, as Talcott said today, you know, uh, and that is kind of uh, part and parcel of, um, you know, what we're experiencing here, you know, um, you know, um, is the extreme, you know, you have over socialization on the one end, but then the kind of rugged individualism that comes from this kind of uh, over exploitation of subgenres and this neo tribalism that makes people feel that, uh, you know, a false sense of freedom, oh, wow. you know, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I love what uh, you just laid down there and uh, so many things you can touch on uh, in that conversation. Uh, you, But one thing that comes to mind for me is uh, forced interaction, that statement you made. And I think sometimes our cell phones are a digital chain around our neck, right? And so I, I mean that in a sense, someone could call you, text you, and it yanks you into their reality, right? You're forced to an interaction. And if you don't yes. engage in that interaction, it's a non-choice and it's acknowledged, right? So then it's a perceived slight. Um, but humans have never had to deal with that, right? This idea that if someone halfway across the world or even a town away wants to interact with you, uh, they should be obligated to do it immediately. And if you don't correspond immediately, it's a perceived slight. This is new. Um, and these forced interactions are new. And these forced dilemmas that are placed upon our mind are new and it creates uh i think a difficult problem for all of our minds to deal with right so we develop these uh behavioral habits such as ghosting to deal with it because uh ghosting i think is more attributable you know it's it's something we it, it seems almost natural it seems almost human to ghost because in real life uh you are allowed to ghost people um, yeah. you're allowed to not talk to them you're allowed to ignore them uh, so uh, on that point, I think uh, you bring uh, great awareness or insight to me or illumination in the fact that, yeah, there is a real issue with forced connection and uh, and what that the problems that brings to society. Um, it's it's difficult. I've had to think about that for me. And you think about it every day. Anytime someone contacts you on the phone or over an email, um, there's like almost uh, a burden of guilt that carries with every message of answering it or not answering it. Um, and yeah. And let's, and let's look at the antithesis, you know, a village where, uh, you know, uh, people have extreme manners, extreme polity and extreme um, rights, you know, rights as in R I T E S, mm. you know, I say, and I say, why do you have rights? R I G H T S. 
it's because they stole your rights r i t e s wow. <laughs> you know yes. you know you know you know you know that's what happened to them and um and in a village you know and another thing i say is you can't ghost somebody in a village you know, you know, you can um, ignore them, and that ig- uh, that ignorance is fruitful because it's part of the privacy and the etiquette of living your own private life. People don't come into your yard. People don't come into your home. You know, unless you invite them, and these are part of the manners. You know, well, now it seems like um, you know there's mass surveillance. You know, so um, you know there's a lack of privacy. You know, um, we're um, said to broadcast our lives, and you know we can take extreme check over who's involved in our lives, but also um, we can be manipulated. As in, um, we don't know why somebody's actually ignoring us. You know, if they ghost us and they give us a a reason, we actually can't check up on that reason. You know, because we can't go to their house. We can't check up on them. We actually don't know who anyone is. So uh, and, and there's fr- and there's a sense that freedom is also um, tied to anonymity. Yes. But um, but anonymity is a total loss of identity. You know, what I mean, um, you know, so so there's all of these paradoxes, uh, you know, within the modern world that uh, don't suffice. And I think also everybody's MK altering themselves by creating disassociative personalities online, um, you know, creating a false version of themselves and trying to keep up with that narrative that they've made about themselves. You know, well, everybody's a real life actor in this age, you know, um, you know, um, um, you know, you see people um, behaving as if they want recognition and they're acting as if they want, um, you know, um, real things, um, you know, um, and they acting and the reality is all mixed up as, um, as one technologist uh, put it, um, uh, um, named Nicholas uh, Negroponte. He said, he said that, um, he said that public, um, he said that, um, um, uh, um, that monologues will become public conversations. <laughs> and where do you and where do you see that happening? But today, but in today's age, you know, so you know, um, you know, you know, where you can have a monologue, but people are ch- chatting at you in the monologue, and it's almost like the monologue is, is is tied into being a community forum, but it's not. You know, it's just one yes. guy talking at you. You know, it, it's it's fascinating. To tie that into Socrates and uh, maybe Plato in the previous conversations we had, couldn't you consider what they? would be having as a monologue so socrates has a monologue and then plato is the person chatting well they would consider it a dialogue and the socratic method is uh, is um, is fascinating because uh, socrates actually never actually um poses any affirmations or 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 it gets really good when he doesn't um when he just keeps on questioning <laughs> you know his um um his interlocutor so uh, to proceed by questioning you know um as the socratic method and to present dialectics you know which a dialectic is controverse to logic itself because logic wants clear cut you know definitions and uh, but 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 a dialectic tries to uh, expand those definitions by forcing contradiction <laughs> you know um, uh, so so it's it's a lot more fruitful and i i really admire the socratic method uh, because because uh, socrates has a way of ingratiating himself um, um which means that um um 
you know, and I heard it put very um, nicely by one of my um, college professors um, um, whose name was Michael Rosano, who was a student of Thomas Pangle. So he was a formidable critic of, uh, of the Socratic method. <laughs> but, um, but, but he once said that um, he said that Socrates had a way of making fun of somebody while elevating their uh, mood and their conscience. <laughs> so he would so he would so he would make fun of somebody but the making fun of somebody would would end up in uh them um um uh, 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 you know elevating their ideas yes you know and um and it's kind of and i thought of it interesting as a, as a way of counter trolling mm -hmm. you know and um or or in other words a philosophical midwifery you know, as he likes to call it, as uh, helping people discover their own ideas and um, which ones um, have um, consistency and which ones don't, you know, as a form of therapy, you know. Absolutely. And uh, I like the Socratic method. And I think of uh, Socrates as uh, the first uh, conspiracy theorist, right, because he got uh, put to death for asking questions, encouraging people to ask questions. And I think that's the best way to make someone really uh, expose what they think um and you know that's one of my my things i do enjoy is asking questions uh you get so much more out of it than by telling people the way things are if someone thinks something you get so much more by asking them what they think and then saying uh following up and saying what else right and um in some sense you let them dig their own grave or dig or build their own pyramid or molehill whatever it be um but I, I love that uh, those thoughts you have on there um, and to lead it off somewhere else or to keep it on the same topic. Um, I, you, you were talking about like role playing um, and uh, people not really being themselves uh, in our culture. Is that somewhat true or am I uh, mischaracterizing some of the things you said in today's culture? Oh, yeah. I totally believe that nobody's nobody's a real uh, person anymore. Uh, the, hence the name, the machine lies. You yes. know, people people tell me, "Well, you're you're fake because you're coming through the machine." And I say, "That's exactly my point." <laughs> I like that. And uh, I was going to tack on to this, and I brought him up before, but Marshall McLuhan, and maybe this is old material for us to discuss, but. Uh, the idea that people aren't really the things they portray anymore. So like a teacher in a classroom isn't really teaching. A lot of the times, you know, they're just laying down content in front of the child for them to go over, putting a Chromebook in front of their lap and having them do work. Uh, the, the idea, they're role modeling teaching. Even you got your subway artist. Are they really making a sandwich or are they just role modeling what it looks like to make a sandwich? And so we're getting farther and farther away from people really, uh, and, and you mentioned online and social media, but I think it's ever present throughout our whole culture and society where people aren't actually really doing anything, right? Like a cashier or someone who works at a clothing store, they don't make the clothes, right? All they do is secure the transaction, right? So there's a real detachment from the businesses and the things people are involved with and the actual reality of that business or that product. Um, and so we're role modeling almost anything we do and we're almost inhabiting uh, characters and avatars in this new age world we're moving towards where people don't really know how to be self-sufficient, an individual, uh, something outside of the, the matrix or the paradigm. 
And the reason is because that's not allowed, right? Uh, the system won't support that uh, and uh, you'll wither up and atrophy if you do attempt to do that. Um, what are your thoughts? Did any of that uh, connect to your thoughts or am I a little bit off base there? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, there is a uh, influence of people developing a monoculture but this is also uh, set to uh, change with the uh, sort of the sub genres of influence and and what it and what it really amounts to is that uh, you know we're all being shaped by a algorithm to a certain extent and that means that uh, you know that what part of our interactions are sincere. And I think that sincerity is a real uh, height of, you know, human experience. I think that sincerity is a real jewel of the human heart, uh, you know, uh, the real uh, basis of morality, the real cornerstone of morality. Um, and I think that the numbness that we experience when communicating with others through filters, you know, I think that that's apparent. I think that when people uh, communicate through a text message, it's them plus the text message. When people communicate through Twitter, it's them plus the Twitter. You know, when people communicate through a cell phone, it's them plus the cell phone, you know, um, that's communicating. And that extra layer of dimension, I mean, look at how many people are in a car and how much conflicts you have in cars rather than in real life, you know, face to face with people just walking around. I mean, with police officers, with people on the road, you know, people are very, um, you know, um, you know, uh, free to do whatever they want because they're protected by a two ton barricade. This is the uh, actual um, strength that they have. You know, this is where all their bravado comes from. All of a sudden they're flicking you off behind a windshield because they feel that the car is an externalization of their ego, you know, and um, and this is where, um, you know, people behind a keyboard, you know, because that keyboard gives you a sense of anonymity. Somebody typing behind a keyboard feels compelled to say things they would never say to somebody in person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, or even, you on, know, it's, even on a panel, yeah. right? So uh, people will, like even myself included, will tell someone to shut the fuck up. But in real life, would I say that? In a room full of people, probably not. You know what I mean? It's it's a whole different uh, medium. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but I couldn't agree more with uh, that that statement. No, it's fine. Um, but um, I must inform you that your mic is flickering again. But 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 it is. But but yeah, I heard I heard everything you said. But um, but yes, um, it, it is flickering and. Uh, I know you have two different mic devices. Um, yeah, I only have um, one. Terrible. I'm I'm using uh, Streamyard as a bootleg, so. Um, yeah, this thing is yeah, this thing is horrible for trying to communicate. Uh, but, it is, but, isn't uh, it? Yeah. Is is my voice coming through better? Uh no, it's still it's still doing the same thing. No yeah, fucking. But, uh, let me try yeah. this. Uh, yeah. What, what a buzzkill! You know what? You know, there's things in life that are buzzkills, and. Uh, Oh, look, I think I figured out the problem. Oh, there it is. There it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're clear now. Is that better? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, perfect now. Yeah, perfect it's now. It's on the wrong yeah. setting. Sorry about that. What an amateur hour. 
yes it did it it did it all all through uh, uh a whole interview i did with dr scrivina it did it for the whole first half of that interview this the, the flickering the stupid flickering thing so <laughs> i know exactly exactly the problem because uh, because i had him on one day and um and my brother accidentally deleted the entire interview. <laughs> so we sat there conducting an entire hour long interview and then and then and then the laptop was dying and he was downloading it as the laptop was dying. Jeez. So it just <laughs> it just erased it. And then um <laughs> so I told him um uh, you know um I mean, I told him, uh, you know, you're going to have to be more disciplined if I'm going to work with you in the future, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> but um, but second of all, um, Dr. Scribino will be here in another week to re-record this interview. We did the whole thing again, and this time the StreamYards was flickering. Jeez. So, so now I have to uh, – so now I had to subtitle the entire, uh, you know, make a – basically a uh, <laughs> a transcript of everything we said and then transcribe it to the subtitles and oh my god it was it was an incredible amount of work yeah just because of the streamlabs failure and then right the next day the streamyards mysteriously sends me a message that said are you ha uh, are you having trouble with background noise and i said what that was exactly the problem i was having how did you know Wow, it's so fucking weird, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And they said, "Just click the background noise cancellation feature, and, <laughs> and I'll fucking fix the." I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this uh, oh, happened I, to me." Anyway. I, I clicked it. I hope it. I hope it works for me. That's uh, but Doctor uh, Robert, uh, what was his, his last name? Doctor David Scribino. Oh, David Scribino. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. So, uh, can you tell me a little bit about him? I'm unfamiliar. Uh, What's his uh, break that down? It must be uh, pretty exciting to talk to him. Uh, in some sense, I'm not familiar with him, but he's a doctor. So well, he's really, he, he's really just a normal guy, um, from what I know. But I met him at the university, and I, and, and at first I questioned his doctorate because anybody with that name or uh, doctorate, um, you know, I thought has to be suspicious in some level, but. Um, but then um, Dr. Scribino went and got himself, um, you know, essentially ejected <laughs> from the university. And I shouldn't say this out loud, but, um, you know, because there's a case going on because they illegally terminated his contract. There was no reason for them to uh, get rid of Dr. Scribino. But I suspect from my own conspiratorial mind that a lot of this topics that Dr. Scribino was covering and and he and of course, he doesn't agree that um that he's too controversial because he thinks that anybody should be able to talk about these topics and materials. But, but I assure him that, um, that, um, you know, they will come and find us if, we, if we keep on challenging the status quo, um, the way, um, uh, that Dr. Scribina did in the university. Um, he had one class, um, 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 he had a critical thinking class, um, called, um, hoaxes, frauds, and conspiracies. <laughs> where he would uh talk about the legitimacy of certain conspiracy theories and uh, uh i mean it was like a critical thinking course but he would talk about you know different conspiracy theories and um and um and things and he would sit down and talk to like cynthia mckinney you know um the congresswoman who was like challenging you know popular narratives and and, and he would sit down and talk to like um um uh, um uh, i mean the unabomber you know, because because he was somebody uh, he's somebody who's a vegan. 
So he like really despises any type of harm, but he's super against the technological system because he thinks it causes suffering to all life. So he thought, um, so he was, um, so he was somebody who, um, who implored Ted Kaczynski to justify his views on the use of violence, um, you know, in um, trying to bring about an end to the technological system, which he thought was totally unfeasible. He thought that it couldn't be, uh, that uh, such a change could not happen or was uh, probably inopportune because it would cause the loss of human life and suffering on human life. So our own um, Dr. Skrbina really despises um, change that's not uh, um, come about um, in terms of um, agreement between many parties because he thinks that such change will be violent. But, but, um, but I think um, Kaczynski's view was that um, any such radical change in society uh, is offset by violent shifts in the society. So he said that it's just natural that it's going to happen that way. Um, so this is a constant disagreement that they had, um, you know, about how to change society, um, you know. And um, and um, so when I saw Dr. Skrbina at the university, he blamed religion for a lot of the problems in the world. And um, and this is where I started to debate him <laughs> because, uh, uh, because I, I, you know, I don't care that somebody's a Ph.D. I thought that... Uh, I, I thought that it couldn't be ignored the problem that um, the secular age had brought us closer to technology, you know, uh, closer to the technological age, and that the abandonment of um, religion and all of those things, that they're synonymous with the modern age, you know, and, um, and I pressed him on these issues. and That's really how we became very close friends. And, um, you know, and um, I started um, debating with the... Uh, two or three people uh, who are PhDs, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call them debates because their amount of knowledge that they have on these subjects is immense. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, I began to learn from them first, um, yes. you know, you know, so yeah, I love to learn from people that I have really, um, you know, intense disagreements with. <laughs> That's really my thing. You know, you know. I, I admire that quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I wish I had that uh, a little bit of a, the kind of the, I had a political science undergraduate, but um, the professors I disagreed with, um, I took a different route than you. I just wrote essays they agreed with because I wanted the grade, right? So I never developed that, uh, like I was just, I, I, you know, I wish I would have taken more of your perspective. And although I was a contrarian, and I, I, I still find myself to be one, uh, going through the educational process, uh, my mind was geared towards getting an A. So if I had a professor I disagreed with, uh, I, found, I found it easier to just write an essay or to participate in class in alignment with their thinking. And I kind of admire uh, your approach and the thing you described where uh, it is funner right, to engage in rhetorical combat or a dialogue, dialectic with somebody. And uh, I think you gain more out of it um, for yourself and for them. And you develop uh, what you have, close friendships with these individuals. And, um, and not that you need to change each other's minds. You're almost just sharpening each other's intellect. And uh, I really admire that, uh, that 
you're able to uh, kind of be that person and and do those things. Um, I wish I would have been more confrontational with my professors. Uh, I might have had more engaging conversations, uh, but that's really cool. Uh, so what are so the professor you uh, I, I I'm bad with names, but he blamed religion for a lot of the problems, right? Um, and sometimes I find other people blaming religion as well, but sometimes I see religion. I got a, got a notification there. So I see religion as the thing that gave a lot of quote unquote rights to people in the sense that it eliminated the divine right of kings, right? So religion, in some sense, uh, Christianity, or I think Western thought, uh, maintained the idea that there is no one above God to so to have a, a person who's a king and a false god declaring rules doesn't really suffice. So sometimes you look at suffering and what was the end of suffering? It was the end of divine right kingship and uh, really the uh, reallocation of rights back to the people. Um, does any of that ring a bell to you or uh, in regards to what your professor said, uh, religion brought a lot of suffering? I see religion uh, in a small counter argument relieving suffering and uh, taking the yoke off the people and allowing them to pursue their own uh personal interest uh what are your thoughts yes and that is uh, a little bit what i saw too as uh because he does agree to to a certain extent because uh because he agrees that uh the uh low-tech society that's based on religion brings a um lesser population um, to the foreground. So uh, at the time, there was less people around. Um, the king would be able to uh, understand less about his citizens. And um, and that was one of the things is that when you put one person in power, you know, they have less uh, ability to um, go and change um, many facets of life around but um, when you deal with the overarching autocratic system, and you do see the autocratic system as the precursor of the technocratic state, you know, which means that first they had to create the parliamentary system and the democratic system. You know, it does kind of seem like um, it's like the bureaucratic or the technocratic is linked to the um, kind of the assimilation of these modes. And you see that in, um, you know, um, kind of how the uh, the writers of the Constitution saw the system as, a, as if it could be replaced by anybody. And this was their view of human equality, that uh, in a system, you know, the parts of the system or the people who operate the system can be, um, you know, changed um, interchangeably, you know, um, with each other. And, um, you know, the individual doesn't, you know, cease to matter. It's a great um, tragedy of our age that they see the individual. And this links to something we were saying before, that the individual is, um, you know, uh, that once you see everybody as an individual, you know, um, then you believe in equality. You know, to a certain extent, because everybody has to be an individual the same way, the same the, the, the way you believe everybody is an individual. Well, everybody's confined to be an individual that way. <laughs> so so it's like it's like, um, you know, this notion of freedom develops and, uh, you know, and many people saw this notion of freedom as as the um, as the foreground for tyranny, you know, um, 
um, you know, um, look at um, certain people. I think um, one person, uh, one person wrote a book uh, that was a the precursor to the protocols of the elders of Zion. I got two you know, copies. The, yeah, it, yeah, the protocols. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Then this is gonna blow you away. Um, uh, uh, um, um, this is gonna blow you away that it was actually plagiarized. That's right. Yeah, you know, by a man named Maurice Jolie. Yep. Who wrote this dialogue in hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu? Yep. And if you see my, oh, you know, um, you know, I haven't read his work um um dialogues in hell between machiavelli and Montes i knew he influenced victor hugo among other things but um but this guy had um uh he was in the french commune <laughs> and um and um and um he wanted to show how banks and newspapers basically can be used to take over society private institutions can be used to take over society from the outside yes you know and um and this is kind of the, uh, you know, democracy can become hijacked, um, you know, and that is what Plato describes to, uh, in his book Eight of the Republic. This is why Plato recommended fascism, <laughs> you know, because um, because he said um, actually democracy can lead to a worse form of tyranny than fascism can wow. because. Um, um, yeah. 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 Because he said um, that the excess of. Um, 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 the excess of freedom leads to another, uh, um, leads to nothing more than excess of slavery, mm. you know, that people become enslaved to their own desires and that the, um, that the rulers, um, uh, tend to capitalize on this, you know, um, so once you institute a democratic age, then you say that everybody can do whatever they want. And once they do whatever they want, um, they, uh, start to, uh, ruin themselves and then people start to find how they can capitalize on their desires you know to put it uh, bluntly in one a person's formulation they said um you know what if we could um you know um um give someone what they desire by first removing their defenses <laughs> you know what I mean? and that is exactly what the technological age accomplishes you know meanwhile um you know um you know a a, a 16th century, and this is why you hear a lot of re, uh, reactionary, um, you know, uh, people become, um, you know, I heard it today, that they're reading Carl Schmitt, <laughs> you know, you know, they're reading like the philosopher of the Nazi party, you know, and, um, and, you know, even Tucker, um, even Tucker Carlson is like supporting stuff like this That's by having wild. people like Menchus Moldbug on his uh, podcast and, you know, neo-reactionary. You know, they're saying we should go back to the 16th century uh, before liberalism, because liberalism is such a curse that we should go back to the age of kings. <laughs> yes, monarchism, right? Yeah. And uh, you, you laid down a lot there to, again, once to touch on. Uh, but one thing that came to my mind in what you were saying is how the parliamentary system became a technological advancement, right? And then you look at the founders of our country uh, and you look at the way they created our constitution and it is uh, an amalgamation of three types of government, right? So you have monarchy with the president, you have an aristocracies with the Senate and uh, or you not with the Senate with the uh, Supreme Court, right? So you have the aristocracy, aristocracy there and then you have the democracy with the judicial branch. So you have three branches of government and uh, 
all combined, right? They make one government. So they they really did look at, I think, uh, the idea of a political system as technology, and they tried to engineer, uh, and, and this is my point of view, uh, but I think that the founders of our government didn't actually want a republic. Um, they, you appear to be frozen. I don't know if you're still there, the machine lies. Um, but I don't think our founders actually wanted a republic. I think they planted the seed of an empire. Uh, I think that the actual founders of our government knew that uh, in order to create an empire, it needed to start as a republic. And they tried to create the best republic they could to create uh, a, an empire, a dominating empire. Uh, and I think that's what they created to some extent, but we're, we're witnessing the, de the decline. So we lost the machine lies there. Uh, we got Neurojack here. Neurojack, this is uh, not an open panel, but we are approaching the last five minutes. Um, machine lies, yeah, did, you, did, so. did you hear what I said? Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, a little bit, but I accidentally, I don't know why this happened, but all of my internet tabs just closed. <laughs> so, so I lost a middle of a middle portion of what you said. But, uh, but right. yeah, um, we have uh, Neurojack here. Do you mind him uh, tapping into the last uh, half of this podcast? We got about. Oh no! Oh no! But uh, but 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 if we're getting on this, um, I say that um, we could take the discussion to Trad Culture's channel. Oh, he is. Is he live? He's having, yeah, he's having trouble um, streaming his content. So, uh, oh yeah, um, I might, yeah. let's uh, let's end the broadcast. Uh, we'll, we'll end it here. But uh, can we can we do about like maybe you give your last five minutes? We'll let Neurojack uh, if he wants to contribute, go ahead. Um, but uh, Neurojack, welcome to the show. This is the last Provocate podcast. Machine Lies is about to wrap things up, and then if you want to have a little bit little bit of dialogue. Um, about anything we talked about, we can do that. And then I'll link, uh, and machine lines. I'm going to mod you in my chat. So you, if you want to drop, uh, what's his name? Trad culture. Okay. I just put you yeah. as a, a moderator in my channel. You can yeah. drop his, uh, his link there. Everybody go to trad culture. Yeah. Cause trad culture is having trouble streaming. Uh, he's complaining that there's only, uh, a couple people watching him. And I think that that's a shame because trad culture is one of the, <laughs> you know, you know, he's an anthropologist, you know, he has lots of topics that he can cover. So I'm going to be restreaming him on my channel Perfect. and also, um, covering some of the content, trying to join him on the stream there. So everybody go and uh, check that out, uh, you know, uh, as well, you know. Um, you guys are interested in continuing this conversation, you know. And uh, kind of what I was wrapping up, uh, uh, my, my brief point was that uh, just the idea of government as a technology, uh, in the sense that our founders created a, a chimera of a government by linking monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy – through the legis legislative, judicial, and uh, executive branch and uh, what that entails for society. And also seeing those three forms of government mold into more uh, perhaps a democracy or an aristocracy or even uh, something to the effects of like a fascist uh, capitalistic takeover of uh, the whole institution. 
um, which I do kind of see in some sense. But um, the machine lines, you've been wonderful. I appreciate you uh, being here. Uh, it's been a great time. I'm going to drop your link in the uh, description for the Spotify and iTunes. Uh, everybody, if you're listening, go check out his YouTube channel. It's been amazing. But Machine Lies, what do you want to close on? Well, I would just like to tell people that, um, you know, that you don't have to uh, bow down um, to the systems of control that we inhabit, um, that you are more powerful than a machine, that you can um, actually um, have a lot of capacity to influence and control your own life that uh, a machine cannot predict your actions uh, you know that you are uh, definitely imbued with spirit something that the machine doesn't have you know somebody asked me the other day that uh, you know that um, you know how can a machine um, embody spirit when it is spiritless it's matter you know, and I said it can't inhabit spirit, but it can inhabit mind, you know, um, and that is a lesser quality than spirit because, um, you know, spirit is in the heart, but the mind is um, totally, um, you know, um, influenced by, um, you know, um, preset modes. And that's why I chose this name, The Machine Lies, um, because it's it's a reference to how we are using the machine to um, talk about what we're doing and and that is conditioned through the mediation of the machine itself so arbitration and um and uh, mediation you know is artificial you know and 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 um and what does art what does this artifice engage in you know well it engage is in uh, thinking about thinking and this comes to the mode of influence that we've inhabited today. We're involved in Aristotelian systems. You know, the kings of today or the kings of the past were influenced by Aristotle. You know, um, they were conditioned by the, uh, by the realm and the thoughts of Aristotle. And, um, and Aristotle invented this word technology, which is techno, uh, techne logos, you know, which is the skill of creativity. You know, uh, the skill in crafting, you know, um, through ideas and, um, you know, through the immaterial realm, you know, and this is what we're all engaged in, whether we like it or not. And we create um, our own um, sphere of influence, if you'd like to say so, you know, and I'd like to tell people that don't believe anything you hear through a machine because this is a system of control. This is the king in, in our day. The machine is the idol of today, you know. Um, so, um, you know, um, beware that the machine is lying, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, um, um, this is a, I, I don't know if this is my first time on, on the Provo kid podcast on the last Provo kid podcast, but definitely there'll be many more times, many more conversations between me and the Provo kid for you guys to engage in. And, um, please join us, um, anytime you guys want, um, uh, to, talk about some real issues not some wayward issues and and we do appreciate all the people that watched us um, have this conversation here today thank you so much i appreciate those kind words and uh you can bow out when you're ready the machine lies i think me and neuro jack will clean up the conversation i did just link the traditional uh the trad channel uh in the chat so if you guys are watching live now go ahead over uh the to the gentleman's channel 
Uh, he is live. Uh, he's talking about atheism, Islam, and the future of humanity. So he's cooking up a good conversation there. And Machine Lies, thank you again. Uh, I couldn't thank be you for uh, more honored to have you here. Uh, it, it's been a blessing, and I wish you the best uh, in these upcoming days and weeks. And uh, if you need me, let me know. Um, I'm going to check my emails and uh, get my book sent to you. And, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, de I'll definitely get that out to you. And, um, and, and yeah, thank you for being a, a, um, a good friend and, um, and, um, and sending me that email. And, um, and definitely, I look forward to our conversations. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, brother. And uh, I'm going to remove the machine lies from the stream. What a legend. Uh, Neurojack. This is kind of the post-podcast breakdown. This is kind of new. Uh, this is a new area. But what are your thoughts on the conversation, or uh, what did you what did you think about that? Well, first, thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I, I saw something that said open panel, and uh, I was listening, but I was very distracted and everything, so I apologize about that. I normally wouldn't do that, of course, if you were doing a podcast. But uh, thank you for, you know, being gracious and, and all that. And, uh yeah, I mean, um, you know, I like talking to a, you know, basically everyone in our circles, but I, I think that I have, uh, you know, found that the conversation that you, myself, and Machine Lies end up having end up being uh, extremely fruitful in surprising ways. And I think that's uh, refreshing. And I think what you guys are just talking about is kind of what's been on my mind. And, um, and I think we're getting into somewhat dangerous territory, <laughs> um, you know, because, uh, you know, I don't think people like very much when you start kind of finding the seams of the stuff they've woven together, you know what I'm saying? And I think we're kind of starting to see through that and, you know, we're not alone, but I think, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't think it should surprise us if people start behaving not very well <laughs> towards us <laughs> because I think we're, I think we're, we're having very deep conversations that have huge implications and what you guys just were talking about um, is very much what's on my mind. Um, you know, machine lies right there at the end said something about Tucker Carlson and Schmidt and, you know, the fact that a lot of these things that we think is just a right wing a right wing thing that's trying to fight the left or whatever is actually probably um, quite a big trick that's being played on everybody. And um, <clears throat> I, that's kind of what I see going on. And I find it's uh, when I try to point it out to people that you would think would be interested in it, they seem to say, well, um, why would I want to be interested in that? It's like, well, <laughs> if you're playing into a trick and you don't seem curious about that, then I find that very curious. Certainly, and uh, I like the what you brought that what you brought the point to, which is uh, Tucker Carlson Schmidt, and I'm I'm a little bit unfamiliar with that, but would you mind elaborating uh, on the influence of the right and, and some of those ideas a little bit more? I would ask, like, what else uh, can you bring forth? Uh, because I'm interested, I'm curious on uh, some of the things, like you said, you're you're interested in and you've been thinking about, but. Uh, to be quite honest, I'm still a little bit ignorant. Uh, not I, not familiar with the Tucker Carlson and the whole Schmidt angle. And to be when to be honest, when Machine Lies brought him up, uh, I had no clue who he was. 
Well, you know, and and maybe me and Machine Lives watch the same thing because this is new to me as well. Although it's confirming uh, suspicions that I've had. Um, like, I'll give you an example. Like, you know how everyone says, "Well, Alex Jones is a shill," and blah 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 blah. Yeah. And I found that very hard to buy that he's totally just a shill because you know, you know, how can the truth be used as a weapon? But you know, over time, that seems more and more to be the case is, you know, truth is not just on its face, always a good thing. If you are given like a false solution, does that make sense? And I think the same would apply to Tucker Carlson and all this, but, you know, in a nutshell, you know, Tucker Carlson's just the face of this. And again, I don't even think, I don't even, it doesn't even matter if someone like Tucker Carlson or Alex Jones is, uh, you know, overtly in on it, right? They don't need to be, um, they could think that they're totally doing the right thing and it wouldn't matter. Um, but basically it runs down to this before, and I'm stealing this directly from James Lindsay, who does, uh, new discourses and all this. He's a, you know, kind of a right wing atheist guy. And he kind of stumbled into figuring out that this whole Christian nationalism thing going on is, you know, potentially, uh, not very organic. I've sensed and, that as well, by the way. This I've, I've sensed an underlying increase in Christian media propaganda on the Internet. But sorry to cut you off, but I've noticed that a bit myself, but don't know quite uh, where to pin the tail on the donkey on that. And exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have been. And, uh, and um, <laughs> and, oh, <clears throat> and sorry, there's a there's a gentleman that in person here that, uh, that I have conversations about this who just happened to walk over here. So interesting. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that's what I've been noticing. And I, I didn't know where to pin the tail on the donkey. And I still think this is only a facet of it, but I think if you look into it, um, you'll find that, uh, you will find that in this example, you know, <clears throat> And this is I, I feel a little bit nervous, honestly, to talk about this because I think it goes a lot deeper than this. But essentially, Schmidt was a guy who was a, uh, a political philosopher in uh, in Germany before 1933. And he was basically saying, well, he was telling the current government post-World War One that they needed to crack down on the, uh, uh, you know, mean Mr. Mustache Man's party before they gained any power. And the current government did not listen to them. And then, uh, you know, those guys took over yes. and once they took over, he switched sides back to the other side and started, uh, you know, started, um, basically he started, uh, helping them figure out political philosophy. And I don't know the whole story. This is just what I, my, my brief understanding, but, if you start looking into who Tucker Carlson's talking to and stuff like this and other, other people, uh, you know, like I'll give you another big example, like Alex Torba, the guy who does gab, right. Mm -hmm. But he thinks he's just a right wing Christian guy who's, uh, you know, trying to help fight the power or whatever. But if you look into who he's connected to, it's basically something akin to like a, basically something to a, akin to like a free Masonic, thing and if you start looking into what these people believe it's basically like marx hegelian philosophy that they've kind of wrapped around 
a Christian nationalist framework. Um, but it's very subtle. So like, you know, the average person who reads it says, Oh, I agree with all this, but you know, it's kind of like very, very subtle what's underlying it. And basically it's like, well, just trust us. We're going to put a dictator in power and he's just going to come and uh, solve all the problems. You know, it'd be like a constitutional monarchy and all this. And, you know, I think that's kind of what was going on with the alt-right. Um, but for whatever reason, perhaps it failed uh, or was taken out for whatever reason. But what we saw happen with the alt-right I, is what I suspect is going on with this Christian nationalism thing. I, I think it could either be... Um, you know, like a trap in order to get people involved in something in which they can find themselves, uh, you know, in a courtroom, or it could just be like an actual plan that these people have to try and seize power and they want people to play into it or some combination of both. I don't know, but that's kind of the gist of what it, it seems to be going on. And, and for me, it's not surprising. Um, and I think it, like you said, I think it's just one part of what we're looking at. And yeah, that's kind of the basic understanding of what I'm figuring out. But again, I think that's, I think it's just a small sector. I don't think this is like the overarching thing, but I think it's, um, I think we're just seeing this all over and I'm not trying to like point at anyone that in our circles or anything like that and say they're in on it. But what I'm saying is like, we should be very, very careful <laughs> about what we're involving ourselves in and what we're talking about and all this, because uh, I just find it very odd that nobody's looking into it. That's all I'm saying. No, no. Um, that's fascinating. You bring up a lot of interesting points and uh, you know, I have my own ideas about it. I've, I've noticed uh, an increase in, uh, I would call it overall Christian propaganda, which, you know, I'm not opposed to, or traditionalism, conservatism, uh, whether it's home setting, trad culture, uh, and I think it's a natural almost reaction to our current state. So I think there is a natural organic response, right, uh, to the way our society is headed. And uh, there are institutions and think tanks that know how to hijack the people or nudge them to certain uh, areas of thought or belief systems that benefit them, maybe financially or politically or uh, any other way, maybe socially. So uh, and I, I haven't really determined like uh, so, for example, people talk about the rise in Christianity. What, are, what am I talking about? Um, I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, just orthodoxy, uh, whether it's Christian orthodoxy or orthodoxy in the sense of uh, what is it? Maybe this isn't the right term, orthodoxy, but homesteading and, and getting away from the government and having a traditional conservative life. Um, there's these this natural inclination inclination for maybe people to head towards that. And you have these uh, right wing think tanks maybe uh, hijacking that. Is that somewhat where you're leading to Neurojack? Um, it's, it's really nice that you kind of pick up on it and you kind of go exactly where I was going with it, because I would say, yes, that's exactly kind of what I'm alluding to. And also, you know, uh, some, one of my friends gave me a book a couple of years ago. It's called like guns, something and steel. It's basically like a short guns, history germs and steel. Yes. And, um, I, that's, that book has been sitting around for uh, two years in my house. And, uh, last night I was listening to machine lies and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to open this book and start looking at it. And 
I mean, it's basically, you know, by one of these globalist kind of people, I'm sure. And he basically just says, you know, like basically whoever has the best technology is going to win. So it doesn't really matter all this other shit at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I think they're kind of counting on us in my opinion. My opinion is and why I get so frustrated in these circles that we're all in is because, you know, everybody thinks that you can just hide away or you can build parallel to the system or whatever. It's like they are not going to just let you. I mean, you can do it for maybe a, a generation or two generations or even 10 generations. But the general direction of this system that we're in is just basically going to steamroll everyone, in my opinion, unless we start figuring out some way to participate in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, like I was saying about the technology, it's like they've pretty much figured out the technology is going to basically win whatever situation they're in. And even if they're wrong, um, you know, we're playing a very dangerous game (laughs) as human beings, right? Because on one end you have like a bunch of psychopathic people with a bunch of power and money. And on the other end, you have a bunch of uh, ignorant people who are not curious about what's going on in the world. And then you have people like us in the middle and we're just kind of like trying to reason with both sides and they're not really open to reason so <laughs> you know it's kind of this just a bad situation and again you know like i'm not really pessimistic about it but what i'm finding again is like just the lack of curiosity is kind of a problem right and uh <clears throat> i just don't know what is the right way to go about it but um I, but i do think what you just said there is kind of my point is like everyone thinks that you can just pull away from society and you know, homestead and go back to Christianity and everything's just going to work itself out. It's like, I just don't, I just don't think that that's a viable solution um, because the technology is just at such a level that it's just, I don't, I just don't think it's possible. Honestly, I mean, I get why people want to do it. I just don't think it's realistic. Certainly. And I actually agree with you on this point. My perspective is that, you know, if our country or our government as a machine is a car, right? Somebody's driving the car in, to a ravine or off a cliff and there's this idea we can stop it right we can slow it down well no matter if we're going over the cliff at five miles per hour or 30 miles per hour this country's going over the cliff right and uh there's no avoiding that i don't believe right it it is inevitable um and there's a lot of people who benefit from telling you they can slow down the car or maybe they can turn the car they can change the direction and in reality, nothing is going to uh, eliminate the fact that there are uh, invested interests. In, the, in other words, people, there's an illusion. I like to think of Wizard of Oz. There's an illusion that people are still participating in the government, right? In fact, that's not true. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, the green curtain placed over everybody. And uh, what's in reality happening is that invested interests, whether it's the military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical company, big agriculture, uh, the prison, uh, the prison complex, you know, you name it. Right. Uh, those are the institutions uh, at the highest end, Amazon, Microsoft. Right. They are deciding the general direction of our government, of our country. And you can't escape that. Um the idea of people being in control, I think, is an illusion. And sometimes I, like when I listen to you, like, what, what are people to do or what can we do? It doesn't matter if you try to homestead. Uh, it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter, right? Somebody's driving the car of our government and you'll never take the wheel, right? And it leads to people like Ted Kaczynski, right? So he understands he'll never take the wheel. Um, he understands that everything is inescapable to him. He has to commit a terrible act and uh, write a manifesto to help everybody understand where this car is going. There is no other direction uh, for the car. The car is going over the cliff. And, you know, I get bothered with people in our society who think, uh, whether they're on the right or left, that they can control the system. Uh, the system's a sock or an asshole, and they think if their hand's up the asshole, they can control the direction of the car. Uh, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Uh, it's, it's quite unfortunate and it's interesting what it leads people to, right? Uh, it leads people to feeling cer certain types of way, uh, discomfort, unsettlement. Uh, the people call it the great awakening. It's really the great, uh, you know, clamor for finding another hermit shell to hide themselves in because people don't, uh, in times of distress or despair, they don't know where to go. And so this is a great time for people to have solutions, right? Uh, for people who don't know where to go. And whether it's a pharmaceutical company, you're scared of your health, right? Uh, they'll, they'll help you with uh, an inoculation. If you're scared of uh, your salvation, trad culture will help you find Jesus Christ and make sure that you live in uh, you know, peace with uh, Jesus Christ, which I hope everyone does. But, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, I do find that at the end of the day, there is... Uh, just the reality that people don't know what's going on. I think it's impossible to know. I despise people who do think they know what's going on uh, because I think the con the situation's so complex, right? To have a actual understanding of it will make you look insane. And that's Alex Jones, right? He thinks he understands how the situation looks and everybody thinks he looks insane. Uh, he made a prediction about lockdowns and masks and I've covered it today in my last podcast, but it looks like they're coming back in some small measures looks like the crazy guy was right and it is fascinating when we think about propaganda and how it's dispensed where you know is he a shill alex jones well it's amazing that he was the first person to tell everybody masks and mandates are coming back and then a week and a half later almost two weeks you have them whether it's the college in atlanta or uh, lionsgate hollywood um and it kind of baffles you right that uh, the guy who's crazy is the first one who's correct. And uh, people are just, it's, it's, we're in this state of knowing anything and also not knowing anything. And it's, it, it should be debilitating to people, right? It should be debilitating to when, even if you listen to Alex Jones a little bit and he's right about what I just said now, like, what do you do? Is the next thing he says, is, is it going to be right? Is it going to be wrong? How, how are you going to think about that? Um, is he going to have another, uh, Sandy hook moment, right? Uh, and people, I don't want to get into that, but, uh, my point is things have been said to discredit him and make him look insane to not take anything he says credibly anymore. But past week and a half, as long as, Hey, as far as the masks and mandates look, he, he looks correct. Um, and so a lot of sabotage, a lot of, uh, muddying the waters, and a lot of uncertainty leads people to cling to something. And so I think that's the whole state of our government, our culture and society is to agitate people, right? And then to create buoys for them to cling to and, uh, you know, and to feel like some sort of comfort. Sorry about that Rambo Neurojack uh, 
I'm going to oh, go ahead. That was, that was exactly on point. I mean, um, that's why I'm here talking to you because uh, this is something, you know, the, this is something that there's not very many people I would have this conversation with publicly, uh, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of nuance in what we're talking about here. And, um, you know, the, our first conversation, we didn't even get into all the stuff, but I can see that you're thinking about it from multiple angles at once, which is what I, I try to do as well. Um, because I think we should be careful. And I think that's what, you know, what you're talking about, Alex Jones. I mean, I, I, I want to say that I love Alex Jones because I'm, you know, he changed my worldview in so many ways. And I, I do think most of what he talks about is, you know, more or less true and correct, but, you know, in the same way that we look at someone like a, you know, a Tucker or, or like an Alex, um, you know, kind of what I was saying is like, a, you know, the, the truth is a weapon and, um, you know, what, what is to be done with this truth? I mean, you know, just stand up and say, no, I don't, I mean, I, I think that would be effective um, were it a popular message. Um, but the problem is, is like, you know, people were kind of all in their own little, I hate to use this term, but all in their own little echo chambers trying to uh, do what they can. And then when you actually try to get into the mainstream of things and try to actually do some disruption, well, you find quickly that you're on the end of disruption and usually not in a very nice way. And I think we kind of get what I'm saying. Right. So, certainly, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so it, it, it and uh, you know, I don't know. I think Alex Jones did give a solution to people that I do more or less agree with, which would be, you know, go get involved, go be your own uh, person that goes and, 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 and gets involved in the private life. I think, I do think that's somewhat effective. And also I do think politics could be effective but not in the way that most people think i mean i i think a lot of people privately going and getting people thinking about things um it it, it is a good thing but at the same time and also like getting involved in politics can be a good thing if you actually disrupt things but i also do think that with the level of technology that we're facing um kind of what you were talking about with the car analogy like you know, we may slow the car down, but the car is going off a cliff. And, you know, this is actually what Machine Lies and uh, Andrew of the Crucible were talking about um, really at the end of the day, which is, you know, are you really going to be able to reform society in any real meaningful way when what it means to be a human has shifted so far away? And I think that's a really important question, whether we have the answer to it or not. I mean, um you know, the way that you and I grew up in the past 35 years is so different than the next 35 years that my kids are going to grow up in. Right. So, um, and people just seem to gloss over it. Uh, and I understand why, because we're all in this situation, but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I just, I, I just find it very, you know, I guess, I guess I just find it very upsetting that people are just kind of, uh, they're just okay with it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to put it, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, I see people in the chat, short statement says, get out of the car then, right? There is no getting out of the car. It's like um, when your country decides to go into total war, uh, you can't really avoid it, right? So we're going into total collapse. It's going to happen all around us. And it's going to happen in slow ways or fractured ways, balkanized ways. It's going to be 
you know, I don't see uh, a fruitful, peaceful ending to any civilization. It never happens, right? Um, look at uh, look at the start of our country. Our country's start was really a civil war, right? Uh, people, you know, look at it as a revolution, and a revolution is a it's like a double speak, just like terrorist and freedom fighter is, right? So, a revolution is really a civil war. So, you know, we're going to go through some turmoil, some some uh, some type of event, and we're already maybe going through that now. It's unavoidable. And my, my thoughts are this. The only thing that really is important is how you live your individual life, right? So then it maybe comes back to some more uh, Socratic uh, philosophical talk where, like, what is the meaning of life? What should you pursue, right? Because we can't pursue the, the course of changing government. That's silly. But you can pursue happiness, right? You can pursue, uh, you know, uh, personal delight, engaging in the things in your life that bring you happiness, and delineating the things that don't bring you that. So, uh, you know, to close this podcast, I think the answer for me, like we can talk about all these things, and I think they're coming and they're important to discuss because uh, we need to navigate ourselves through these uh, moments in life and moments in our government. But we also, uh, you know, we need to, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned and talk about this, regardless if we can can change it or not, right? So it's almost, uh, in other words, like if there's a fire ahead, it's good to talk about the fire. It's good to talk about what direction the fire is going. So you can go around it, you can sidestep it, you know, you're going to, we're going to live with the fire and we're going to live with the collapse, but uh, you can't ignore it, right? We can't ignore these things that are going on in our country and pretend everything's fine. It's almost the worst thing when I hear people on the left lambast anybody on the right. And just to, their, their self-concerted beliefs, if that's the right term, and, and, and feeling comfortable in the, the idea that Joe Biden is the right choice or anybody on the Democratic Party is the right choice and they do have the solutions and they do have the answers. It just, to me, is conceited and ignorant, uh, especially when they're pro-war and they're for killing people with drones and tanks and this idea of, uh, you know, uh, freedom through killing, uh, you know, and, you know, not to get into Ukraine or anything, but uh, I'm going to wrap up the show here. I actually uh, might come back on another channel later tonight, but this is the end of the Provo Kid podcast and Neurojack, you're going to have the last words. Um uh, go ahead and, and reflect on anything I said and uh, go ahead and promote your channel or uh, monologue if you want. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for having me on again, Provo. And uh, you're, you're, you're a hundred percent on point. And I'm not just saying that because you're having a show like that's a very, uh, it's very good, very accurate way that you just put it. And I'll, I'll leave everyone with this. When I opened that book and I, and I looked at some of the history um, you know, they, they did a little small example in the first chapter of the book about, you know, the people of Papua New Guinea and the Maori and, uh, this little Island that's, uh, you know, South of, of there. And, uh, you know, somewhere around 500 years ago, more or less, you know, these people split off one stayed on Papua New Guinea and the other one, you know, uh, went off on their own little Island and, uh, you know, tried to be like little hunter gatherers and they just had a few thousand people kind of, uh, 
living more or less in harmony. They forgot about war. They forgot about weapons. They forgot about all the stuff that had happened in the past. And uh, they just kind of lived and let lived. And, you know, they were a little bit, uh, you know, they had to make some difficult decisions like castrating young men to stop overpopulation and stuff like this. But, you know, they were doing what they could with what they had to stay on their own. Well, when, when the white men showed up and uh, found this place that's a paradise because it wasn't very populated. Um, they went back to, to New Zealand and Papua New Guinea and told everybody about it. And the, the, the other natives on that Island had a great idea. They decided to trade a bunch of stuff that they had, get transportation and guns and go and just slaughter and enslave their former, uh, you know, people that were basically just like them in every way, except for their culture had changed. Jeez. And, um, yeah, and uh, and this is kind of where I think we have to kind of c- consider. And they, I mean, they they basically slaughtered and ate <clears throat> their enemies, uh, men, women, and children. So um, this is the reality of what happens in the world when people try to hide and be peaceful and think that they're going to avoid something. In general, that's kind of the way it goes, right? And I think that's something we kind of have to think about, unfortunately. Absolutely. And uh, I like that note, ending on a, a grim notice, Neurojack. I like that quite a bit, dude. Uh, people do do that. Um, it, it reminds me of a story where, they, I mean, this is kind of tangential, and I know we're, the, we're ending the show, and also this is the series finale, but there's a story about Native Americans in South America or whatever, and uh, the colonizing forces realized that they were attracted to axes so what they did the way they would uh trap these native americans was they they would hang a steel axe from a tree and then uh they'd show back up and you'd have a bunch of native americans by the tree some story like that i have no clue what that uh, i wish i I wish that was a better story to end on but it just made me think about that i don't have no fucking clue why just the savageness of native americans they are savage and uh, the just the unfamiliarity of like a war weapon, the, kind of the things you were talking about, uh, the unknown, right? And uh, so many ideas. This is the perfect way to the end, end the podcast in the series is just me not even knowing what the fuck I'm talking about. But Neurojack, you've been a legend. I'm going to promote your channel. It's going to be in the link for Spotify and iTunes. Neurojack and the Machine Lies, the last guests on the Provo Kid podcast. Neurojack, I'm going to give you one more sh- one more time to say goodbye and then I'm going to I'm going to remove you from the studio and and finish with a short monologue. Again, thank you for having me on. Uh feel free to follow me on YouTube or IG. Um you know, my IG is the easiest way is just neuro.jack. I mean, I like to hear from regular people who are interested in the topic because um I always learn something new. And um and um yeah, and uh, I hope that you, although this may be the end of uh, the era, I hope that it's uh, the beginning of a new era for you. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation, however it happens. And uh, yeah, man, uh, much love to you. And uh, I really appreciate you having me uh, me on. And, uh, you know, uh, congratulations on the end of the era. That's all I can say. Hey, God bless you. Kind words from uh, Neurojack. I really appreciate that. I'll put your links in uh the description and uh, everywhere else just removed him from the studio. Folks, what a, what an ending we're here.
We're there. We were there. We're, we're here now, and the show's over. Man, what a good time. Uh, this I was going to end on local music, but the truth is I want to play my child's favorite song. Uh, this is uh, my when my kid wants to, they, they say, play, play my favorite song. This is my uh, my child's favorite song. Shout out to my kids, the future of the world, posterity. Shout out to all the Provo kid fans who've been here. Um, I'll come back as a new character. Look to see me in a month, maybe two months. Uh, it's going to be a while. Okay, I'm going in hibernation. It's An artist goes through certain phases, and the phase I'm going through is, uh, you know, a lot of self-defeating thoughts i'm a loser i'm nobody who am i to create a new character but i'm gonna overcome it you know and I, i'm gonna come back i, I want to surprise people uh, i want to come back in a way where people think like golly gee man i had no, is that the same guy and i i won't do a haircut i'll never cut my hair i might shave maybe i'll shave maybe it'll be a clean shaven face uh but at the end of the day who knows what will happen let's turn this off uh it's been real it's been fun man the final goodbye uh what song do i play who knows podcast with the machine lies uh man oh and for people wondering it's all going to be on the same channel i'll just change the name right so i'm just going to change my name Probably keep all the content, or maybe I won't. Whatever I do, I'll let you all know. I'll keep it notified. Thank you. Uh, before I leave, Yellow Cake Maker, one of the hey, the best mod. Shout out to Yellow Cake Maker. Grateful for you, Reddington, Stephen, David, uh, the greatest co-host I ever had. Jeremy Peterson, uh, a legend in his own right. Um, we had the Machine Lies, Neurojack, Reddington, uh, Ice Grills. You're new, but you've been appreciated. Um, you know, the list goes on Carl, Benja, Benja, big shout out to Benja. Uh, one of the, my biggest supporters can't thank Benja enough. Uh, just, uh, just grateful for him. Sweet Orange productions. You've been there from the beginning. Shout out to you. Toxic angel. Thank you. Uh, I'm probably going to miss a few people. I'm scrolling fast. I'm scrolling quick, man. Uh, smoky guru. Shout out Smokey Guru. Uh, I trust that dude with my life. Realist Weed. American Bald Guy. You showed some love. Benton. Michael A. D9. 76er. Uh, 6079Smith. Chalk Body Outline. Enslaved by Truth. Smeagol the Cat. Uh, Tropes. A new mod. Uh, uh, Stephen Mulraney. Always there. Shout out to Stephen Mulraney. Entent. Uh, I am the Tau. Robin. And get chalked up. Everybody, you've all been instrumental. It's been phenomenal. And hey, you know, I'm going to come back. It's going to be a new character. I can tell you that much. But the Provo Kid era is done. No more provoking. Uh, the Paul Enslaved Jack Talcott was my last real opportunity to kind of, you know, get in and, and stir the pot and create discontent. And it was a nice little homage, nice little goodbye. But this is it, folks. God bless you all. I'll see you on the other side.
If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away Just to spend them with you If I could make days last forever If words could make wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure And then again I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time To do the things you want to do once you find them I've looked around enough to know Except for the memory of how they were answered by you But there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them I've looked around enough to know you're the one I want 